Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In this episode of Around the Coin, I interviewed Oded Zahavi, the founder and CEO of Mesh Payments. Mesh has raised $13 million and they're building tools for businesses to manage their corporate spend. Odad is a Israeli fintech founder. He previously served as Payoneer's chief revenue officer. Prior to Payoneer, he worked at PayPal, and he led the launch of PayPal in the Middle East and Africa and Israel. He's extremely knowledgeable about the payment and fintech world. He's been working in the industry for close to 20 years, and he's super passionate about payments. So I pitched him on a couple ideas. I got his feedback on crypto. We talked about expanding a company such as PayPal in new markets and what Mesh Payments is up to. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Our show today is sponsored by Otter Labs at HireOtter.com. You can check out a community of developers if you're looking to hire for your existing software startup a uh, developer to join your team at HireOtter.com. You can find folks down in Latin America, Argentina in particular, with over 1,200 people on the platform. Otter is a great resource Argentina and Latin America, same time zone as the U.S., English fluent and very tech savvy and much cheaper than U.S. prices. So check it out at HireOtter.com. And I hope you enjoy the show. I bring you Odad Sahavi. All right. So uh, we're live, man. Odad Zahave, I'm excited to dive in with you today. I was uh, listening to a couple of the other podcasts. You've done a few podcast now. And you talked about your journey in the Israeli uh, military and really armed forces. And I found that fascinating. Um, when you left, uh, one thing I, I didn't quite understand, I wanted to ask you more. So when you left the armed forces, did you get right into payments and, and uh, working in startups? Or what was your journey? What was your transition like during that time? Uh, hi, Mike. Happy to be here. Um, I'm also a big fan. Um, well, it's interesting because, you know, when you finish the army, you usually don't remember anything technical. So you need to revive some of your technical background. And, and I usually advise to young people that wants to um, educate themselves, usually not to go. To, today, the most Tel Aviv is, is startup heaven, like the ecosystem is is flourishing. There are so many new startups. You can, every everybody can get a, a, an amazing role in, in a fast-growing startup. But usually, uh, what I'm the advice I'm giving to uh, uh, people that are younger, which wants to get into the business, is that a startup is a place. Usually, when I hire people, I expect them to be by definition overqualified to the role they are. Uh, they will operate because the startup you don't have a minute to breathe you need to execute immediately you need to be bigger than what is expected from you which is usually much more difficult to somebody without enough experience to on the to do on the job training which usually startup will not be willing to observe um so that was me uh, many years ago and i was lucky to choose to join what I'm advising these young people to join a big company in my, uh, for me, it was uh, HP. Um, and I joined as a project manager. Uh, I had the time to educate myself, to learn, to uh, see, to have enough time to uh, meet enough people, to learn from people which are much more experienced without the pressure of a fast-growing startup, which you need to 
be measured every day, every week. Uh, you, you need to raise money. You need to show progress. In a large corporate, usually things are a little bit more calmer and you have the time to learn. Um, and I spent like a few years at HP before I joined my first startup, which was a payment startup, which amazingly, not surprisingly, was trying to do something with virtual cards, uh, but only for consumers. So my first startup was aiming, that was 2001, the midst of the internet bubble, uh, and e-commerce was just in, at infancy. So we were trying to solve what was then a huge problem. People was, uh, was not willing to use credit cards on e-commerce sites. And we tried to use that, use virtual cards uh, to help these consumers uh, to pay in a more secure way. The idea was much premature, uh, like many amazing ideas. Uh, but that was my first steps at payments. And I'm, I'm there from that point. Ah, fascinating. Uh, you, you've had such an eclectic background in payments. I mean, you've worked for PayPal, Payoneer, uh, you advise a number of different companies in, in, in the space. Uh, do you, how do you feel about that in hindsight? Have you accumulated a deep understanding about how payments flow or do you feel like, you know, you kind of, how complicated is it? You know, you know so much more than the average person. Uh, what, how would you describe the knowledge that you've accumulated working for these different companies? So it's amazing that even Mesh, which is now becoming a, a bigger and bigger company, we are still uh, making sure that every new employee uh, gets 45 minutes of, of a, a payments one-on-one from me. So every new new recruits are coming uh, and I'm giving them a, a lecture which we called um, the evolution of a transaction, uh, which is really about how the payment landscape is built, what is an authorization, how the credit card network works. And that comes back to my experience and I've been it's amazing that I was fortunate to give that presentation to very senior bankers and to very young entrepreneurs over my careers uh, I always explain to people which the common person which goes to Macy's with this credit card pays and go out thinks that there is nothing behind that there is so much going on behind the scenes there are so much complexity. The banking infrastructure and the payment ecosystem have built for so many years um, an infrastructure that is so complex and have so many reasons to fail um, in a way that if you don't come from the industry, you don't really understand the complexity and you cannot give innovative solutions that leverage the pains that that infrastructure uh, still holds. Um, I'm a payment geek. I, I enjoy payment. I'm really passionate about payments. I'm passionate about solving problems. Uh, as you mentioned, I was chosen, um, and I see it in a, in even a, a historical nature by PayPal to start and manage Middle East and Africa for them. I was the first, that was more or less the first time uh, where PayPal decided to go really international. Before that, it was Canada and some less um, uh, less exotic places. And I've launched, uh, the business, uh, in Tel Aviv. I've launched South Africa. I've launched Kenya. Uh, so, and I spoke with so many regulators and, uh, and, and, and banks in that region, um, which was sort of something completely different for a very American oriented company like PayPal. And to do that, you need to understand the, breadth and depth of payments, I usually believe that it's a really a competitive advantage. I'm seeing, in, especially in our space, so many companies that try to go after payments problems without really understanding the bits and bytes and payments. For us and Mesh as a company that a lot of the key people have come from, the company you mentioned, from PayPal, from Pioneer, in very senior roles and has spent many, many years, it's not their first time in a payment company, that's, that's for me a huge competitive advantage. Um, and usually when 
I have a conversation with people that I understand they don't have the experience in payment. Um, I won't say they will fail, but the chance that they will succeed is much lower. What did you do when you first launched PayPal? So PayPal comes to you, presumably you were warm introduced to them through somebody, I imagine. And they say, Hey, Oded, we want to launch in Israel specifically. Was it Israel first? It's an interesting story. So I was working for one of the Israeli uh, credit card companies. Um, and as coincident strike, uh, more or less a month before PayPal, they started the search, the CEO of the company that was my champion in that company, uh, got a heart attack and died in a visa event. Whoa. So, um, that's how surreal life is. And I more or less understood that that's more or less my end of my journey in that company. And out of nowhere, I got two offers, by the way, one from Visa to open their Israeli office and one from PayPal to launch uh, what was planned to be Middle East and Africa. Uh, we knew that they already, PayPal already had a development center in Tel Aviv, so it was much easier from an administrative perspective to start an operation. But that comes back to a conversation I had then with my wife, which was asking me, you know, you came in your first day to the office. What do you do? Like, there is nothing. Um, no uh, cookbook, no guidance, uh, nothing. And you need to, and it sounds like you join a very organized company like PayPal and you, you should, and you should get uh, guidance and you get, you should get uh, you should get guidance what to do. I, I joined, as I mentioned, we were the first maybe territory that was launched, which was outside of the PayPal conference zone. And a lot of the things, a lot of the things that we learned was the cookbook for PayPal, um, expansions in the coming years. Wow. So tactically you, you, you join PayPal day one, you open up your laptop. How, what do you? What is your checklist of launching in a country? Is it like you have to call up a bank manager and set up a, a meeting to set up some kind of corporate account, or what, what are you tactically thinking about when you launch a new country? So tactically, first of all, I was involved in charge on on running a business, and, and and PayPal has few advantages. One is that the PayPal infrastructure was global by nature, meaning you don't need, you didn't need to adapt it from day one for a specific country in order to make it running. It wasn't perfect. It didn't support some of the, the, the specific, uh, uh, specific needs of a country. For example, PayPal didn't have a, a Hebrew website. So in my checklist was to start initiating a project for Hebrew state website, which took almost a year. Uh, but PayPal had an ability to accept Visa cards and MasterCard cards also from Israel. The other advantage of PayPal, in opposite to other companies that might go into a market, which they already have a significant customer base that have used PayPal uh, to buy on eBay, uh, on, on, on some other merchants. So we have the consumer base. That's something we knew. And we started to analyze what is that consumer base means and what they are looking for. And most of my efforts in the early days was around increasing the brand awareness, which increased the volume of people, consumers buying on international websites using PayPal and not any other payment method. And second, trying slowly, slowly to get uh, merchants that will, local merchants that will accept PayPal. We were the first country in the world that, that's convinced Domino's Pizza to accept PayPal. Today, it's quite common. Elal, the Israeli airline, was the first airline that accepted PayPal. I got a, a special note, a personal note from the PayPal CEO about that. Uh, but that's something you can do when you are in a more controlled territory. You have much more connections. Um, and, um, and in the end of the day, um, that's some of the things you need to do. So, so as a PayPal, in, in PayPal specifically, it's a dual-sided. You need to create demand and supplies, meaning uh, adding more consumers. And a lot of my efforts was around building the merchant mm. merchant base, which will service the local consumers and also potentially um, in Israel specifically. One of the uniqueness that a lot of the Israeli merchants are international by nature. So we are a, a small country, 
And as such, many of the entrepreneurs from day one understood that the local market is not interesting from a business perspective. So they immediately launched a service that will service the world. You know, I can give some examples. Huge companies like Fiverr, like Monday.com, um, that they are global leaders in their space and they are still headquartered out of, of Tel Aviv. So that was another an important priority for me to convince those global merchants that have an Israeli uh, presence to accept PayPal. Um, and that was really exciting, exactly time to build something from scratch with the power of a, a huge corporate. So it's combining both worlds, meaning the strength of the corporate and the excitement of building something so scratch. And, yeah. and I find that myself over and over again in my career building streams from scratch, which which really excites me personally. Yeah, I love it. It's amazing to me that Israel is so good at building tech companies. I mean, the population is, I think, around 9 million. So, you know, roughly the size of, you know, LA, probably even smaller than Los Angeles. And yet there, you know, you could rattle off, you know, very significant companies that come out of there. So yeah, there's some magical combination that's flowing right now in Israel. Um, I, I want to ask you about Mesh. So you, you started this company Mesh three years ago in 2018 or 2017, 2018. 18, and yeah. you guys have raised about 18. You've raised about 13 million. Um, I love the website, beautiful design. Definitely a fan of the black. Black on green is a very tight design. Uh, what was the initial, what are you trying to accomplish in the world? What, what's the, the, how do you articulate the problem that you're solving? So yes, you are right. You started at, at, uh, tw- at uh, 218, but the truth is that we pivoted totally when COVID started. So we want, it doesn't matter to spend time on what we've done before, but that when COVID started, we found ourselves with an amazing team, a strong technological infrastructure and no product. Uh, and we started to look for pains. Um, and, and as I'm always saying, uh, when you have a crisis like that, uh, when you have a personal crisis, you usually go and, and talk with your family. When you have a, a business crisis, you usually go and speak with your network. And that's what we have done. We've started going to these amazing technological startups that some of them are headed from Tel Aviv. And we were asking them, what are the pains that they are suffering from in the, in, in the payment space? And is very quickly understood that some of the implications of COVID was that all of them became fully distributed and fully remote. Uh, that was one challenge, which means that how do you orchestrate payments when employees are all around the country or, or even all around the world and they need to pay for a specific vendor? Uh, what do you do? You give them a dedicated card, you send them you, the, the CFO number on an email or how, how do you orchestrate that? And that became a huge pain that really made the finance team uh, really uh, hectic. Uh, second, uh, we discovered that a lot of the companies move their infrastructure to the cloud, which means they uh, purchase SaaS services. And many of these SaaS services prefer to work in a, in a recurring subscription model and not in a perpetual model. So now they need to pay everyone for a specific vendor which made their statement even worse than it was before. Um, and the combination of these two, two, these two pains add to that the fact that we were lucky that we coincidentally meet some of these companies where they had to a credit card cancellation or a credit card abuse, which meant immediately that all these recurring payments stopped, pay, got paid because the card was canceled. And that was really a huge uh, and uh, hurdle for them. So all these, the combination of all these pains le- led for us to build a, what we felt uh, was re- really unique. Uh, and we discovered over time that was really an extension of, of the expense management space that was pre-COVID, was really focusing about helping companies to orchestrate better the t expenses, which when COVID came, almost eliminated totally. So we've built, we've taken what? the virtual oh. card infrastructure that, that we've been, that we've built, uh, that we had, we adapted it to the SaaS world 
And we started se- selling to companies that needed a better way to orchestrate all their SaaS payments um, in a very frictionless way with a lot of sophistication and technology. That's how we started. Over time, we got be- more clients. We understood that we can solve even bigger problems. And we started expanding that product, which led to what we are doing today, which is we are one of the leading expense management platforms in the world. Yeah. So you mentioned that the pre-COVID model focused on travel and expenses. To me, that doesn't seem like that big of a pivot to go from managing, helping companies manage the travel expenses to helping them manage SaaS products. I mean, is it, it it sounds, sounds very similar. Is it, is it significantly different? Well, what I was uh, referring to that a lot of the expense management platform that was, which was already been in the market, have been focusing on travel and entertainment. We were doing something completely different about helping emerging market payments. When COVID started, we pivoted from doing emerging market payments to providing expense management payments for these SaaS, for this SaaS world. And a lot of the other expense management platform, which historically were really focusing on travel and entertainment have tried to capture us since then. Um, it's, oh, a, it's, it's a very hot space now. Um, many companies have raised tons of money um, and they are all chasing. Uh, and, and I think the other most important thing about the space we are operating in that, as I mentioned, also before COVID, a lot of the finance teams were really hesitant about making changes. So they usually decide, they prefer to stay and use whatever they've done so, so many years. And, and, and even if it wasn't perfect and COVID really changed their mindset. So now when COVID started, and as I mentioned, they were hitting all these pains, they understood they don't have any other choice than to start looking for solution that will be different than what the way they operated before, but still provide them better, much more value than to use Excel and use all corporate cards and to use banks, etc. So yeah. that's really push the entire industry forward. And that's one of the reasons why you're seeing all these successful companies and all these amazing funding rounds all over. Yeah. It's interesting because to me, it seems like there's a, like you are are saying that there's a lot of companies in the, in the space of, of helping companies, helping businesses manage their credit cards, their internal credit cards. And, you know, if a company has a thousand employees, I don't know how many credit cards they have, but probably a lot because each different department will have one and the manager of the department has to roll that up into the CFO and they have a long list of, you know, their P&L of of all their expenses. So I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't big 10 years ago. You know, maybe maybe eight years ago. You know, because it, it there, there's it doesn't seem to me that there's any groundbreaking technology that's been unreleased. Uh, you know, I would imagine that credit cards were around, corporate cards were around in 2010, 12. Um, I guess it's just a wave, right? It's just companies kind of all come together on a, a realizing a problem at a certain time. Or do you think there's more to why this is happening now? There are a few reasons. First of all. Like everything in many things in life, there are waves. But in my mind, this wave is is driven by a few, many, some important reasons. One of them is that 10 years ago, there was not real access to the banks or to the bank accounts. So a lot of the newcomers that have now ability to connect directly with the existing client's bank account, they are bank agnostic, which is also becoming something uh, interesting. Uh, or relevant. And second, a lot of the traditional, you know, all legacy systems, the concourse, the Amex, etc., didn't really have any technology. So they can offer cards, maybe many cards, some kind of reporting, usually not in real time, maybe some controls. The new wave of, of companies, as I mentioned, that have came like four or five years ago, started with the notion of of more control, more visibility, more real-time, more user experience. That was the first generation of, of the, ex- the, the new expense management platform. That's how it started. And to your point, in the last year or two, there are few, I don't want to say many, but there are few companies that have tried to ride that wave. 
because the market opportunity is so large and the most companies are still having an old traditional Amex or a Concours um, to manage their expenses. Every, in almost any company that will come into this space, if they will be good enough, uh, they will succeed. And if they will be great, they will be very successful. In my mind, the time has come to what I think is the next generation of our space, which if you look at the, and, and I agree with you with the way that companies have looked at, at, the, at the solution, meaning search, giving cards to specific departments or specific people, in the end of the day, it all comes back historically to the way that the finance team was really ag- agnostic or they didn't really understand what's the business reasons behind spend. So when you talk with a finance person about the company's revenue, they will now understand the business plan. They will understand the priorities. They will understand what the company needs to do to, do to succeed. But when it comes to spend, most of their role in spending was to get a request by the specific business unit. They usually don't understand the vendor, what is trying, what, what the company is trying to buy. They usually don't have any opinion. They just can look at the budget. And if the company has a budget, they will probably say yes. If the department has a budget, they will probably say yes. And if they don't have a budget, they will say no. What we bring into the, to the, to the game is the notion that we can have the finance team to be involved in a business manner in the decisions also about spend and to really help the company to optimize and understand what's going on. And to do that, there are multiple uh, innovations that need to happen. First of all, the first innovation is around data collection because today, more and more you can, I, I was talking about the accessibility of the banks. There is now more and more accessibility into the company infrastructure. So if you have access, you can understand what the employees are doing, uh, where they are spending their time, what the services they are trying to consume, you have a lot of data about the vendors themselves that you can curate from different data sources inside and outside the organization. So the first step into making the finance team more knowledgeable is to collect the right data with the right context to the purchase themselves. The second thing with, with the uh, uh, evolution of AI, you can take the data and try to give the finance team insights that are beyond a simple logic. So you can really understand what it means for you to buy, to book a hotel in a specific date, in a specific country, under a specific policy. And what it will mean if you will book that hotel a week before, a week after. That's something you can only do if you have the right data and you have the right insights, engines to get that judgment. Because usually a a finance person will not have the time to think about these, these things. And last but not least, uh, more companies are trying to automate the corporate processes and you need to inject yourself into the corporate workflows. So it's not good enough that you have a car that is uh, totally decoupled from the existing company workflows. You need to integrate with the company workflows and make sure that you are providing the insight in the right time when the decision is made. And, and that's the combination that we are trying to bring and the innovation we are bringing into the market, which is above and beyond what the traditional expense management platforms will deliver. Um, and, and, and we are least, we are hearing from finance teams all around the US where we operate currently and from in the world where we are having conversation about our future that they are really looking for these innovations. They are really the time has come for them to go above and beyond what was done again two and three yeah. years ago. Yeah. Wow. Good explanation. Sounds like a sounds like a spaghetti. Like it's very. There's so many different parts of the business that are going on simultaneously. Uh, it, it sounds like if I, my kind of distillation of that is the advancement of the banking and the uh, credit card APIs allow for the next level of sophistication to happen. And you're, you and the other companies that are working on the, the space, it kind of represents that. I wonder if it gets to a point where, do you think this, this, 
Do you think Mesh and the other companies building the logic for business cards are making Visa and Amex more valuable or more open to disruption? Because I could see a scenario where a company says, hey, we want to incorporate crypto payments with this merchant. And, you know, you, you build a switch on your platform and they can just easily do that. I'm curious what you think of, of, of that, what your reaction is. If- so first of all, for me, the rails themselves, i.e. the card networks, we are totally agnostic, even though we use the yeah. card networks today because they are the best way to monetize what we do. So our business model is 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 perfect, meaning you don't need to convince the clients, you don't need to negotiate with the clients about how much he's going to right. pay you because you can easily monetize every every dollar that he spends with you and even share some of it with the client. So that's allow us to grow dramatically faster. We have been growing 25, 30% month over month for the last 12 months, uh, which is amazing. And then think about the, what, what the challenge that it's to bring to a company that grows so fast, but that's a different conversation. Second, in my mind, we bring a lot of value today. Nobody cares about. Uh, what card are we using? If we use Visa or MasterCard, et cetera, but still the ubiquity and the acceptance that the card networks provide to a technology cloud ours is, is critical. So I really believe, and that's the conversation I'm having with the card network. And I think they are more and more understanding that, even though it's very tough for them to react as, as very complex organizations, is that we, the value we bring for them uh, in the short and medium term is priceless. And, and more and more companies will decide which card network to use based on the technology and the expansion platform and less on the points or the rewards they can give them from the next Olympics if there will be, mm. uh, allow, audience allowed. Um, so on the, the cards themselves in my mind have been built for the consumers. So for you and I going to Macy's and buying something, they will not build for corporate use and without technology uh, like ours uh, the car will not survive and cannot grow um, in the corporate space uh, we see a lot of again the most the most important example is that i'm explaining to the car network is that we succeeded convincing a lot of clients that historically were not willing to pay big value payments for example few hundreds of thousands to a specific media or cloud vendor uh, they weren't, they weren't, uh, they needed the controls. And the only way for them to have the control is to use a wire, which was manually triggered, uh, which means they are, the, the card network are losing that revenue out of them. A lot of our clients, after getting enough confidence in our platform and understanding the value that the combination of curation between the payment, uh, data and the, uh, non-payment data that we bring into the table, decided to move. We have clients that are spending millions of dollars uh, and, and some of them based on a few hundreds of dollars transactions every month. And that can be done only with a platform like us. It will, it will never consider taking just another bank card and using it the same way. Mm. So, and I think that's the, 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 the card network are getting there. It's not easy for them. Um, yeah. Uh, to change the way they, their mindset, but but it's getting there. Yeah, good explanation. Uh, I, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you what 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 do you feel personally drives you uh, about this mission? Is it the like how do you um, where do you feel most energized in building this company? I imagine you know the obvious answer is making making customers happy, but is there a specific is it something about the payments in particular that you feel uh, motivated by or you see that maybe other people don't appreciate in, in the, the payments industry? Because some, some people will say it's dry or that it's, um, you know, it's too complicated to even get into. And they don't, they don't, it's so much of it happens behind the scenes that it's difficult for people, I think, to conceptualize the, the beauty in the whole system. What, what gets you fired up? So one of my lessons from the multiple startups that I've been uh, honored to join is that in a startups, it, it all starts and usually ends with the team. So, and, and many, many of my teammates have been 
working with me before um, and we already know each other well and we trust each other. And, and what differentiates between a successful and an unsuccessful startup usually is that is a team and sometimes you can you can join an even an unsuccessful startup but if you spend time with people you enjoy and you think they can bring you make you better then it's it will be an amazing experience in, in our case where we are six very successful and we have an amazing team that's more or less the uh, ultimate goal for for entrepreneur um, As I mentioned, I personally are, are uh, in the payment space for almost 20 years now, and I really enjoyed it. And again, it's, 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 I, I will discuss that as a, I, I see payments as a hobby even more than a profession. Uh, I can go and have a conversation with a, with a cashier or with somebody in a, in a cafe about his, his point of sale challenges. Uh, and try to help him to solve his uh, NFC problems, uh, regardless if it's have any, any relationship with my existing business. And I'm doing it for, for so many years. To your point, I think that there is the only way today to innovate uh, in the payment space where things are co- so complex and the market is so saturated is really by By really understanding the bits and the bytes of the business and, and leveraging an infrastructure that have been around for more than 40 years, people tend to forget. And most of the, the protocols that we are using have been defined more or less in the 70s. The EMV protocol, which is the uh, professional name for a smart card, the protocol itself was defined at the 80s, 90s, and a lot of the things he's trying to solve does not exist anymore. So to take such an outdated infrastructure and to link it to a modern technology and, and the com- by combining them to bring value to clients, uh, that's really what excites me. I, I was fortunate. We were selected uh, last week to be one of the 10 promising Israeli out of startup by the Israeli Uh, was the, the equivalent of the Israeli Wall Street Journal. So I was invited uh, for a dinner in New York. That's how we celebrate uh, um, things in Tel Aviv. We bring everybody uh, to New York. So <laughs> I was fortunate to, to go and, and join that dinner. And, and we, we were set in, in these uh, big uh, round tables. And I was somebody sat beside me that I never met before and he looked at my tag and he told me, you know, I'm so happy that they sat me beside you because I can't, I can't think how I would have operated without you. And I told him I'm very flattered, but who are you? And he told me, uh, we discovered that he's the CEO of one of our clients and, and, and this is his second startups. And before he had just another corporate card and today everything is orchestrated for a platform. So these are the moments where you feel uh, most proud. Uh, but yeah. as, as you know, we are really in the early days of the company. Uh, there is so many more pains we want to solve. There are so much uh, business that we, we want to grow. Um, and by doing it by people you, you like and you Uh, enjoy spending the time with that's the perfect combination yeah that's very cool to sit next to one of your clients without even knowing it uh, <laughs> yeah I, I feel payments is especially difficult to break out from the noise early you know I think notable investors can help startups break out if they raise some from top investors um, I think design actually makes a big difference. I think like that people don't quite understand what is going on underneath the hood. And so it could be very technically amazing, but if the front end design is not, not sharp, then there's an element of um, like lack of trust for that, for that company, especially if they're going B to C or even B to B. But I, yeah, I found that, that response interesting. It was really, especially with the protocol part, like the technology being 50 years old, built in the 70s and 80s. Do you feel that crypto is the the next, like we're just going to shed a skin? I mean, there's no way to go back and rip out the old protocol and put a new one in. It just, it, it ran its course and then there'll be another 
layer, uh, the the blockchain layer that's that will kind of eclipse those old protocols? Or are you more of the camp that those old protocols need to be updated and that we should improve the existing old rails? Like, I'm curious your thoughts. I personally, I'm not ashamed to say I never bought any Bitcoin, even though I was offered Bitcoin where they were like less than a dollar. Um, and I even convinced people that wanted to do that, not to do that. So, and they are all very mad at me, but, uh, you know, nobody's perfect. I personally don't believe in disruption in payment space that it's not incremental. All the people that have tried before to, build the infrastructure from ground up, regardless if it's crypto, blockchain, any other ideas that have been around before, the ecosystem is so fragmented. Uh, it's the things that the car networks have built for so many years. It took them so many years to build the infrastructure. And I don't believe with all the advancement, if you take some of the Players that are trying to disrupt the space, even the PayPal and the Squares, which are significantly bigger than the other players in the payment space, their market share is still insignificant. If you look at the entire US ecosystem and if you look at the entire global ecosystem, it's totally not relevant. So I don't, I believe that in order to succeed, the, the only way to succeed in, in payments is to provide innovation that is incremental you take something you improve it a little bit more and and, and then you, you improve it a little bit more all these ideas which some of them are not really about the infrastructure more about it's it's more about anachronistic about against the government about things that really makes bankers uh scared and government scared i don't see them in the foreseeable future, impacting the real payment space. Um, there are a lot of assets. People made a lot of money out of speculating around these Kipriot assets. Blockchain is an, an amazing technology, but it's, there is not, are not too many use cases that really justify, you can justify it by the complexity and the technology requirements and, and a lot of the payment use cases that have been been well, offered to be sold by blockchain could have been solved even without blockchain. And most of these problems are not technological problems. Many people that are trying to solve the technological payments problem don't understand that every time you hit a payment challenge, you usually start by understanding what are the regulatory and the compliance requirements, what are the risk elements, and only then the technology comes. So even if you have a great technology, in most cases, it won't help you to solve some of the pains. Um, and that's something that people that outside of the ecosystem not always understand. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I connect with a lot of that. The, the one part where I feel that crypto offers just a an enormous potential change is uh, not the number of use cases, but the impact of the use cases, you know, like uh, remittances or cross-border payments is only one use case, but the impact of it is, is pretty significant. <laughs> you know, certainly the store of, of value at moving away from gold. Um, and those are the obvious ones that are happening today. I do think that we're going to shift to an entirely blockchain based currency system over time. I agree with you a hundred percent on the layering, you know, it'll it, even, even crypto today is layered in with the existing payment industry in so much as there's exchanges, you know, I have to be able to send money from my, my, my checking account through a wire transfer to a ba another bank that then holds that money. And then I get issued Bitcoin. So those companies, if a government wanted to, they could regulate that out and banks wouldn't do that. And then it would be, you know, at this point, there'd probably be protests in the streets, at least in the US. Uh, but I, 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 I think you're right that there has to be an evolution, not a revolution, but it, it does seem to be happening. And, you know, to, to your business, it seems irrelevant because you guys are fo focused much more on the business logic for spending of companies. So if, if crypto were to 10 X tomorrow, um, 
you know, companies might just adopt crypto into one of the payment methods, but you're agnostic to that. I, I do see it as so significant though. You know, so many business models are going to continually be pressured down in the, in the fiat world. And particularly the international commerce, I feel is huge. You know, the ability to just send money, send any kind of value between anyone in the world. For me, I, I get excited about the idea of, of building a, a kind of world economy where there's not these individual country barriers and governments that have their control over every different person's ability to contribute and get paid. That, I mean, that to me feels like we want to, we want to move towards a world where every person has the potential to flourish as much as possible in their, in their interests, in their domain. And, and you want the biggest audience possible. Like you want the most amount of people, the most amount of consumers possible for your product, whether it's art or music or, you know, this podcast or some digital product that you're selling. So I, I yeah, I very much view it as a exciting thing in that sense, you know, the internet, the globalization of it. It's more a political conversation and even social conversation. As you mentioned, I worked for um, many years ago for a company called Pioneer, which is really powering some of the global e-commerce for so many years. And they are already enabling, empowering people around the world to participate in the e-commerce and the freelancer uh, uh, marketplaces. So a lot of the technology, regardless if it's blockchain or not blockchain, is already available. But as long as you are doing it in a compliant way and you know how to handle the risks, the different risks that having a global trade might bring, then you are good. Companies like Pioneer have been, and PayPal have been amazing by bringing these uh, economies into the next level. Um, and I don't feel that there is a, that the blockchain is what can be a game changer in that space. It might contribute to a more efficient way. You know, distributed ledgers have been, technologies have been around for a while. Um, I'm not saying that the blockchain as it mature and the uh, enable all these zero trust things to happen. Uh, it won't be one of the technologies that will power all these companies. But in the end of the day, the problem itself, it's much more complex than the question, how do you recall the transactions and how do you do the currency conversion uh, in, a, in, a, in an efficient way? Uh, I, I agree with you that over time, that, that conversation might evolve. I've seen companies like TransferWise, as an example, without mm -hmm. blockchain, have been bringing a lot of good things to the to the world and to the payment ecosystem. Um, but this is a conversation that it's really early days. Uh, I'm sure that yeah. we'll have that conversation again in five years. There will be so many changes, which in my mind will start with the political and social atmosphere in the world, even before the question about how do you, what will be the, the best general, the general and general ledger technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you're, you, you're, you're spot on. I think there is a lot of people buying into crypto, not for the value per se, but for the potential to make money, which, um, is causes a lot of volatility because it's literally, you're on the emotional train, you know, you buy in and then if people are excited, then it, the price goes way up and then it goes way down. And it's just a, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster. Uh, until there's real layered value that you can assess and you know there's um, you know transactions happening that are significantly better than the alternative but a lot of companies like you mentioned transferwise they'll start to integrate crypto in the back end and for people on the front end maybe payoneer will do it you don't even notice a difference you log into your payoneer account you send money it's you know it's happening behind the scenes but it's just a cheaper way for them to move money around yeah and i think no, the attitude of companies totally as long as they're, again, and companies like TransferWise and, and Peony have been phenomenal in having their highest level of, of regulatory support and compliance and, and, and know your customer, which are fundamental to, to having a successful cross-border payment service. Um, I think these are the ones that will lead 
in the foreseeable future, and they will over time also bring innovation whenever technology will mean will bring benefits to them and to their clients. The fact that I'm operating in the business to business space, first of all, uh, means that I don't need to to think about these more consumer oriented challenges. Uh, in the corporate space, everything is much slower. Uh, all decisions are much less emotional. Uh, the opposite. In some cases, we need to provide to uh, provide a, a, a inferior technology in order to make people adapt it and only then lend and, and expand. So it, it's it, to people for for me the the business to business space and the consu- business to consumer space are uh, totally different beasts. Yeah, totally agree. Well, uh, Oded, congrats on all the progress, man. I love what you're working on at Mesh and uh, wish you guys all the best. Are you active on Twitter? Do you want to mention your handle or if people want to follow? So, so I'm Oded Zavi at, at Twitter. I'm trying to give uh, some feedbacks about things that I'm seeing in the ecosystem. As I mentioned, it's a, it's really surreal times for entrepreneurs, for uh, payments companies, for fintech companies. In general, I've seen so many um, uh, amazing funding rounds. I'm seeing so many uh, unfocused technologies uh, getting a lot of hypes. And from time to time, I'm trying to give my my humble opinion about uh, how I see the ecosystem evolve. But it was really fun uh, talking to you. And uh, stay tuned. We are going to make some significant announcements in the coming few weeks. Uh, about some amazing products and uh, some amazing progress we had for Mesh and and, um, and looking forward to have the opportunity to share a lot of that in the future with you. Awesome, man. All right. Take it easy, buddy. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.